Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. May this class be for Rafua Shalema for Paralea Bashaya Rachel. If you would like to sponsor a podcast, please email us at atrebitsons at gmail.com. I am so happy to have on today's show, Rebitson Sipora Heller. Rebitson Heller is an internationally known outstanding scholar of Jewish studies and a gifted lecturer. She has been a full-time faculty member of Nerve Yerushalayim College in Jerusalem since 1980, impacting the lives of thousands of women worldwide. Rebitson Heller is distinguished by her unique teaching style. Based on classical Torah sources, her insights on virtually any topic in Judaism flow in a seemingly effortless stream. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Okay, so first of all, uh, I was Rebetzin Heller for many, many decades, but I, last year, it's been a year and a half now, I married Rabbi Gottlieb. So now awesome. I am a whole other person, okay? <laughs> and uh, some of you, I sent out, if you know me, I sent out a Zoom of our wedding, which was like a Zoom wedding, and wow. it was a Corona wedding, and it was quite interesting. And I'm also for the last six, six years principal together with Rabbi Kass of Benos Avigail, which is a Beis Yaakov Seminary on the Neve campus. Oh, it's beautiful, uh, Mazel tov. Yeah, so that's who I am. Beautiful. Okay, well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to have you. This is going to be such an amazing interview because you have so much wisdom to share. So I want to just dive right in. <laughs> Um, so today I would like to talk about navigating life in an upside down world with all of its challenges and obstacles. Life is not the way that it used to be when we were growing up. Life is not even the same way we knew it to be just three years ago. People are dealing with so much stress, anxiety, depression, challenges with our spouses, difficulty raising our kids. What was once thought to be moral is no longer moral. Many of us don't know what to do, where to go, or whom to turn to. And we have literally lost our way. My goal is to help Jewish women see clearly through the craziness and proceed forward in their lives with clarity and conviction in who they are and why Hashem, why God put them here in this world. I feel like once you have yourself together, you can then be a support system for your husband, your children, your friends, and countless others. So let's get started together on our path to clarity. Can you please talk to us about how we can have a proper Torah perspective on everything that is going on in today's world so that we don't get overwhelmed by it? Okay, so I'm going to speak about three things. I had the question in advance, which is very wise of Vera. I'm going to talk about who one is why the world is different than it was, and why two specific mental illnesses are on the rise, depression and even more so anxiety. Yes. Okay. So first of all, who are you? Okay. So the reason I think this is important to contend with is that in nature, everything does do what it can do. There are no birds that can fly that refrain from flight. They don't say aviation isn't my thing. There are no plants that choose not to photosynthesize. So the first level of who you are is a human. So as Rambam says, what differentiates humans from virtually everything else in the world is that we very much make our own choices. Animals, plants have no, they are what they are. So their destinies are pre-recorded on their DNA when they come into being. So if you were to look at, let's say, 30 newborns in the hospital, you can't predict who they'll be in 40 years. Nobody can. So the first thing to realize as a human is you write the script. You can't choose what happens to you, but you could choose 
how you respond to what happens to you. So when you're talking about Hashem's intervention, he doesn't intervene in nature other than having set the rules as a backdrop to reality. But you can't say, well, it was Basher that that daisy wrote. It's not. Hashem is in response to us. He's not in response to anything else in nature. So concerning this, it says, Hashem tzilcha al yad which means Hashem is the shadow of your right hand. That means the same way a shadow follows the pattern set by the hand. Your choices are going to draw down response from Hashem. So now as a human being, we have two things going on all the time. One is we're making continual choices. In the course of a single day, you might be making a thousand choices. And the other is that the choices have a backdrop. The backdrop is what Hashem sets forth to you as a human. So once you realize that, you'll realize that if you're talking about anxiety, the backdrop is not in your hands. Most of our worries have to do with what will happen externally, what will happen to my children, to my husband, to my job, to my health, global warming. Okay, we can, we can take this, the Iraqi threat, or is it Iraq or whatever. You have no choices there. You have no choices there. Your choice is only here. It's only in how you respond. Right. What's happening here is defined by Hashem for your benefit. Benefit and ease are not necessarily the same thing as we'll talk about, but realize here are no choices. So step back. Even in interpersonal things, somebody offends you, somebody embarrasses you, somebody uh, puts you in a situation of bisionos and hashpalot, as we say here, humiliations, belittlement, that's the backdrop. You choose how to respond. This is where your human reality comes into being. Okay? The next thing that defines who you are is you're Jewish. So being a Jew is a whole other story. This goes so far as in the Kuzari, he divides reality, not into the usual four, mineral life, vegetation, animal life, human life. He says, no, it's five. Being a Jew is a whole other category. But I want to tell you how strong this is. I teach in an Israeli midrashah called Nativ Bina. And an old student from 30 years ago came back two weeks ago to visit. I didn't recognize her. Um, she recognized me, <laughs> which is shocking, but I didn't recognize her. So um, we got to speaking. She's from the former Soviet Union. Her grandparents escaped the Nazis by taking refuge somewhere in the Ural Mountains. And her parents stayed there. So she grew up in a place where there are very few Jews, certainly no observant Jews. And being Jewish wasn't a big part of her life. But nature, she's a very passionate person. She was always moved deeply by nature. The intricacy and the growth patterns and the, the enormous wisdom that you see caused her to believe in Hashem before she knew the word Hashem. She certainly saw a flow of an intelligent creator. But to her, it had nothing much to do with her life. So I don't know if this was her vocabulary or not, 
but she had Aristotelian view of life, that there's a, a source that brings forth creative energy and that has intelligence and manifests itself in nature, but has nothing to do with you. But at some point, she realized humans are part of nature. We didn't come into being out of nothing. So her field is biology. She began, she became a biologist and her specialty was evolution. And she could find no evolutionary reason why Jews are completely different than other people. What do I mean when I say evolutionary reasons? The underlying theory of evolution is that things continually move forward because everything is wired to want survival on the basis of there being continued mutations that bring about the survival of the fittest. She says, Jews have no reason to be what we are in terms of survival, quite the opposite. The traits that we develop are antithetical to survival. We're continually persecuted. How come we still have these same traits? This led her to finding out more about Judaism from where she was, led her to Israel in the, in the faculty that she was involved with. She was a doctoral student. They, they suggested psychi psychiatric help. This was so crazy to them. She ended up in Israel. Her family in the meantime moved from the former Soviet Union to Germany, which is not an unusual move. She moved back to Germany, back to Israel, and here she is. Okay, why am I telling you this? Jews are different. They're different. It's not just a matter of um, culture, the cultural similarities between a Jew from Ethiopia, um, the former Soviet Union, and Yemen are non-existent. There are no cultural similarities. It's not culture. It's not religious observance. I don't want to shock you. You're ready? They're Jews <laughs> but they're Jewish. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. There are inner traits that are defined Jewish. That's part of you. So remember, we had two things. You can't choose the backdrop, but you could choose your responses. Responses following the patterns of nature should have something to do with who you are. And part of who you are is Jewish. What are the Jewish traits? The Jewish traits are having a sense of mercy. We feel for other people. Sometimes we use it well, sometimes we don't, right? There's a difference between Yad Sarah and helping the Palestinians, but it's coming from the same place. We have a sense of shame. Another word for shame is guilt. We have guilt down to an art form. We really do. Now guilt could be good. It keeps you on the straight and narrow. It could be bad, it could destroy you, but it's there. And we need to do, we're doers, we're a, nature of, we're a nation of doers. There's a museum in Tel Aviv called the Diaspora Museum. On the second floor, they have dioramas of various diaspora communities. Even in Afghanistan, where there's a folk um, saying, you're not a man until you make a man and kill a man. We had schools there and we had homes for the aged. This is totally unheard of in that society. We are who we are. Okay. Who we are as Jews are our raw material. The Torah is the way that the raw material could find fulfillment and expression. So you have to find yourself as a Jew. You make choices all the time. 
you can make choices on the basis of what's normal in society. And as you, you heard at the very beginning, society is totally chaotic. Yes. Most people make their choices on the basis of society. You ask, why is it wrong? Well, nobody does that, you know. Who's nobody? Okay. Um, you could make choices on the basis of your conscience, but your conscience is very, very affected by your desires and your ego needs. If you don't have Torah, those are the only places that your choices can come from. The desires and the ego needs. So it could come from what everybody does. Mm-hmm. It could come from what everybody thinks. Oh, that's dangerous. And everybody includes you. Mm-hmm. So... If you want to make your way through a chaotic society, you have to know some Torah. So in a traditional society, your great-grandmothers, how do they know Torah? They knew it through osmosis. Today, as you heard, society is chaotic. You can't learn anything through osmosis in society, anything that has to do with morality, anything that has to do with tranquility. So this takes us to our next thing, our next to last thing, besides being a human, which means you make choices, besides being a person who's aware of Torah, so we have two things going on, there's going to be a third component. You're a woman, if the listeners here are women. Yes. I don't want to shock you, women are different than men. No. You're also an individual. But you're a part of the components of your individuality is this that you're a woman. Yes. Women are different physically, which I'm sure you've noticed. Yes. Women are also different intellectually. Mm-hmm. In um, trying to think which issue it was, if any of you like the scientific side of it, I'm sure you can get Scientific American from June. I'm pretty sure it was June when they had an entire issue devoted to women. And the differences between women's brains and men's brains are observable and definable. They're real. Yes. So we think somewhat differently. How does this work? I'm going to simplify this because nobody wants to hear a whole article from Scientific American. So I'm simplifying it, and that means making it less than true. You have little dots here that are pink and blue. You really don't. But you do have ones that are inclined towards what's archetypically feminine response and archetypically male response. Everybody's born with like an unusually large amount. Guess what? Women have more pink dots and men have more blue dots. Well, they're not really pink and blue, of course. Every time you make a choice, you make a neural passage. So yes, you could negate all of your pink dots. That's possible. Just choose away from it. Okay, is it possible? Yes. It means that you're taking your choice-making self and choosing not to be really you. You could do it. So among the things that they traced in um, Scientific American were career choices. Today's world, women choose their own careers. Nobody forces anybody into a career. What percentage of of psychology majors and psychologists are women? 50-50? Far more women. Psychology is a new field. This isn't because of hundreds of years of history. What percentage of doctoral 
candidates in physics are women? Good question. <laughs> Point oh three. Okay. Point there are some three. excellent women physicists. I used to say there are no world-class women physicists. This is no longer true, but there are not many. Why am I telling you this? Because part of going beyond depression and anxiety is feeling I am using who I am. And this needs you're acknowledging your womanhood and you're knowing enough Torah, not through osmosis alone, to give yourself expression. And you're an individual. That means you come from a specific environment, you have specific hereditary tendencies. You've made choices that open and close doors. Your education, who you marry, your children. You have habits, your potentials. There's nobody in the world like you. There never was and there never will be. You have a specific destiny. So we have your choice-making self. Enough knowledge of Torah to know where to put it. Acknowledgement of this that you need to not throw away your feminine aspect, nor your individual self. If you could hold on to these four things, especially the most important one, which is knowing that you're making choices, then you're okay. That means regardless of what's happening on the outside, which you can't control, you know how to respond. If you know how to respond, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. So you could say, wait a minute, I'll be okay. What about my husband, my job? Global warning, the Iraqi threat. Okay, and I gained weight and, <laughs> and health issues. You can't control them. You could choose to be a noble person as you respond to them. So what makes people happy? Connection, okay, and that's a choice, and achievement. And once you know some Torah, you know where to put your sense of achievement. So that's my basic, my basic theory. Vera, do you want to ask anything more? Um, I, I do. I have a bunch of I have a bunch of more questions. I just want to absorb uh, before I go on to the other questions. I just want to absorb what you said in this answer uh, for a moment. I, I think it's so key what you said about choices, about you have the responsibility to make your own choices. Nobody's making your own choices for you. And your choices have to come from within you as opposed to from without you. And I think that's very, very key for a lot of people. Um, yes. And yes, and and also um, attachment attachment to Hashem with us as Jews, as you were saying, it's very very important, you know, to have Torah as our guide because I feel like I feel like people are are lost. I feel like people don't have guidance, you know, really and truly. I feel like people don't have guidance. I think that what you were mentioning about us being Jews <coughs> and Jewish women specifically, um, without the Torah, I think we would be completely lost. I think we really have to turn to the Torah to be our guide in these difficult decisions and these chaotic decisions so that we don't um, so that we don't fall prey to what society thinks, because I really think the society is really upside down right now. So, yes. So now let's talk real concrete strategies now. Several years ago, you wrote a book with Rebbitz and Sarah. You have a regular called Battle Plans. That's the name of the book, Battle Plans. This is a fantastic book. I have it. And it talks about fighting your Yetzer horror, your evil inclination. Everyone has that evil inclination. Everyone pushing them to go in the wrong direction. In staying with their theme of clarity and moving forward in the right direction, can you please talk to us about what the Yetzer Hara is and also offer us some practical strategies and battle plans, if you will, for fighting our evil inclination? 
Yeah, so remember there's you with all of the four components and there's the outside. But let's go back to this choosing you. You can only talk about choices when there's more than one possibility. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. So that means we all have more than one possibility of response. And the word yetzer is related to the verb liyatzer, which means to produce or to form. So we like to give form, to give structure to our lives. But there are two different directions. There's the Yetzir Tov and the Yetzir Hara. One part of us loves goodness. The other part of us loves destruction. So the same little hands that build the Lego town say, pushes it down. <laughs> okay, yeah. So that's part of, we all have two. So there are several things that have to be said, some from my book and some not from my book. Okay. Okay. The first is that you have to see that the Yetzirah and the Yetzirah are on speaking terms. Because sometimes the difference between what a person likes and who they want to be and who they really are takes them in two very disparate directions. So I want to give you an image. You probably all know somebody who's, who really is capable of the time speaking really vicious Lashon Hara. Now, Lashon Hara, by definition, is something that's negative or harmful and true. Okay. So some people, I know why they got divorced. It wasn't her. It was him. It was blah, 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 blah. We know people like this? Yes. Okay. <laughs> of course the kids are off the derech. If you grew up in a... Okay, got this? Yes. <laughs> it was the school. Okay. So people, people speak a lot of Lashon Hara. So picture somebody who speaks Lashon Hara habitually and viciously, but goes to Shiurim on Shmiras HaLashon and believes every word she hears. She said, well, she's a hypocrite. No, when she hears it, she's there. But later something triggers it and then she's not. So this is how the battle between the Yetzir Tov and the Yetzir Hara often takes place. The Yetzir Tov, uses the vocabulary of you. You should do this, you should do that. You should, oftentimes the Yetzirah is able to capture the word I, I wanna do this, I wanna do that. Now when it's you against I, who wins? I. So the trick is to turn your Yetzirah Tov into your primary sense of self. Okay. Now it's real, everybody has the Yetzirah Tov. Nobody, there's no one in the world who doesn't have a Yetzir Tov. So in various forum, they'll talk about ways to which the Yetzir Tov is expressed. So the first would be, the first, and this was in my book, Lekutim Moharan, where he'll say, use your mind. Use your mind, you're walking, see the intricacy of nature. You're with people, see their spiritual beauty. Use your mind to see goodness and you'll find yourself desirous and identified with good. So I wanna give you an, an exercise in this direction. This is still from Lukute Moran. Think of somebody who you like. Yes, yes, you must like somebody. Oh yes, I do. <laughs> okay, so I'll use Vera as my model. Okay, what do you like about the person who you like? Don't give me any hints about who the person is. Okay, um, 
the person is kind and generous and friendly. Mm -hmm. Okay, kind, generous, and friendly. I think we would agree that those are likable traits. Okay, now the rest of you who are listening, you probably said similar things. Empathetic, likes me, understands, is committed, is honest. Okay? I took the risk of asking this question to a non-Jewish audience, and I got the same kind of answers. Now, I want to ask your follow-up question. The traits that you zeroed in on, the traits you zeroed in on, are they part of the person's body? Are they physical or are they spiritual? Spiritual. They're spiritual. And again, by spiritual, I mean something that can't be weighed and measured in terms of bodily function. These are spiritual traits. Spiritual means similar to Hashem. Mm-hmm. Now, think about being with this person who you like. Let's say you aren't here listening to the show. You're with the person who you like, which is wonderful. Okay, now suppose when you're with them, they make you feel the way you just described them. You feel generous. You feel kind. You feel friendly. Do you like them even better if that's how they make you feel? Yes. Sure. So that's called spiritual bonding. So before I said we all like connection, if you could make your connections based on spiritual bonding, you're going to have a great deal of power to your Yetzir Tov. Your Yetzir Tov wants this, loves it, and it gives you great happiness. And I want to show you how much. We all like pleasure, right? For sure, yeah. Okay, what's your favorite food, Vera? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Um, okay, let's say coffee ice cream. Okay, coffee ice cream. So suppose somebody just knocked on your door and came out with a little tray of coffee ice cream, maybe with some nuts and whipped cream. That would make you happy? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, for how long? Until it's finished. <laughs> until it's finished, maybe a few minutes afterwards is the glow. But <coughs> this time next year, this time in 20 years from now, you won't say, well, I remember that coffee ice cream. I think it was like at around 12 noon and nobody could remember food. No one has food yard sites, right? <laughs> so the pleasure is real. I'm not saying that physical pleasure isn't real because this is true of all physical pleasure but it can't endure very long because your body doesn't have the skill to hold on to it. Everybody knows this intellectually, but your Yetzirah will say, that's pleasure, there's nothing bigger. And get you to take the part of you that wants connection and takes joy in connection and loves connection and devote your time and energy towards physical pleasure. It's fine, it's good, but it doesn't last long. It's transient. So, you know, what is it interesting that you said about that? You're right. Exactly. But something along those lines happened to me. I wasn't expecting it, but my doorbell rang one day and this was just a couple of months ago and a friend came and I wasn't expecting her to come. And she came with a venti from Starbucks of um, it was a caramel macchiato from Starbucks. I wasn't expecting it. it was a venti. It's a it's a caramel coffee. And she gave it to me. And it was such a surprise. Of course, I drank the coffee and it was it was great. But 
I don't so much remember the coffee, but I remember her act of kindness that she brought me the coffee. Yes. And that's really what stayed with me. Yes. Very interesting. Okay, so everybody knows this in their head because we all notice that the coffee, like, you know, once it's drunk, it's drunk. Yes. So in contemporary society, people notice, all right, I want more than, than ordinary physical pleasure. And they want the pleasure that you could get through beauty. Yes. Looking gorgeous. Having your, you know, imagine like if I look like that, okay, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Buy Botox. Um, having beautiful clothes, having a beautiful home, going to beautiful places. So that touches a deeper place, even than coffee ice cream. And you could remember it. You go to a beautiful place and it sticks with you. Yes. I still remember just recently we went to Mitzvah Ramon for Shabbos and um, it's a crater. And if, if you arrange it beforehand, you can get a guide to come out at night and to show you the whole cosmos. It's like quite amazing. It's beautiful. And uh, it's a two hour thing. And he has like a laser pointer and you see things that are like amazing stuff and beautiful. I don't think I'll forget this, but um, there's a limitation. So I want to tell you what the limitation is. It's not its transience. It's that you could own or observe the beautiful thing, but it, you're left with you. You don't become the beautiful object. You could own the beautiful object. You could observe the beautiful object. And one of the great tragedies in contemporary society is that people try to hold on to youth and beauty, which is a losing, it's a losing battle. I want to give you just an illustration. If you had a six-year-old and you took her to a wedding and she's all dressed up like a doll, the way little children are at weddings, oh, you look so sweet. Imagine how you look at six, at 20. Yeah. Okay. She sees herself as a bride. Okay. You, you take your 20-year-old sister to a wedding. You're going to say, wow, you look amazing. That, that outfit is something. Imagine how you look at 40. Are you going to say that? No. You see your 40-year-old neighbor at the wedding. Oh, wow. Imagine how you look at 60. No. <laughs> yeah, life, <laughs> life expectancy for women is like it's up there. I think it's 86 nowadays. In Israel, it's 86. In America, it's less because of COVID. But um, let's say you, start, you stop looking better and better at 40. I'm being very kind. It's way before that. That leaves you how many years for self-hatred if you live to be 86? 46. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't stay with you. It does because it's not you. It's what you have. It's your outside. It's not you. And certainly this is true with ownership. Certainly this is true with places you go and see. You remember them. But you're not the cosmos. You saw the cosmos. Okay. So that's the limit. There's a limitation there. But the joy of relationship is a whole other story because you become who you are through your relationships with the people with whom you have real connections. So even if they're not there, they're part of you forever. Your mother, your father, the people who you love in your life, even if they're not here in the world anymore, they're in you. So because of this, Real human connection, which ultimately is connection to Hashem, is what gives people pleasure. So the Yetzirah will say anything but more coffee, more owning, more being, more traveling, 
more anything but relationships to people and from their relationships to Hashem. So the key to strengthening your Yetzirah is reiterating what's true. The joy of connection and its ultimately connection to Hashem is the greatest pleasure that life has. So if you could learn that, you've denuded the Yetzirah. Okay, so he has very little to sell. If you take out immediate pleasure and you take out ownership, all he has left to sell you is ego gratification. Right. Now that also, that's, you know, that's good. Okay, we all like covered. So nobody ever admits to lighting covered. There's a real person I like covered. So here's the words that we use in today's society. I like validation. I like appreciation. I like acknowledgement. Translate that to Hebrew. How do you say that in Hebrew? Kavod. Okay. We all like kavod. We're wired to like kavod by Hashem. And in fact, one of the ten names of the soul is kavod. Those of you who say Tehillim, no, Urukavodi. Okay. Why? Why does he wire? Because he wants us to live lives of significance. Yes, we should do deeds that are worthy of validation and acknowledgement and appreciation. We don't like hearing that we're not appreciated. We don't like hearing that we're unimportant or invisible. Okay, we don't like that. And we're not wired to like that. Okay, so here's where this gets extremely tricky. This, this is much harder than desire. This is much harder than ownership. Okay. Hashem wants us to do deeds that are worthy, but we trust other people to tell us what's worthy. Mm. That's the problem. Yes. We trust people to inform us of our own value. Someone tells you you're stupid, either directly using those words or other words, like, oh, you didn't really, you wouldn't really understand it. You know, okay. Someone tells you that you're insensitive, but they won't use those words, they'll say, I think I'll talk to somebody who understands me. Okay, if somebody tells you that you're impractical, I can, I can give you the whole litany. It hurts. Even if somebody hints at any of those things, it hurts. Yeah. You're at the table and people are discussing ideas and they take your opinions and they, you really, they speak about them in a way that's patronizing, not even critical, even patronizing, it hurts. Why are we that way? So the reason is, even though we're supposed to live lives of significance, Hashem made us distrust ourselves, so we keep on striving. And because we distrust ourselves, we look at other people and let them tell us who we are. This is a human tragedy. So... It's very easy to sell somebody, don't care what people say about you, just look at whether you're doing what's right or wrong. It's very hard to live with this. We're wired not to. So here are some tricks. This is what the Hazer is doing. Again, not just desire, not just ownership, self-esteem. You need healthy self-esteem, but you don't need self-esteem that comes from other people's voices. 
or ownership or the fulfillment of desire. Your self-esteem should be built on who you are as a person, on your record and choice making. Remember, Hashem provides the background, you make the choices. You have to learn to appreciate your history of choice making. You have to appreciate that you try to do the right thing, and that you often do the right thing beyond what people tell you. Okay, so then what do you do when people tell you things you don't want to hear? Yeah. Okay, now I'm going to tell you the ideal. I'm not going to say that it's an easy thing to come by. Yeah. Here's the question. If you could learn to ask this question consistently, you could get the answer to shut its mouth for at least a little bit. Okay. Is it true? If it's true, I should deal with it or accept it. Sometimes the answer is just accept it. Just accept it. Maybe you're not musical. Maybe somebody who's brighter than you. Maybe you're not number one. People, you know, I had this happen to me in the Neve dining room. This really did happen. So they serve cafeteria stuff. So they're big warming trays and you get a tray and you dishes and you take what you want. So I cut the line. I figured I'm a staff member. I could cut the line. I don't have to wait behind with the girls. This isn't the right thing to do. It's what I did. So I cut the line. I'm putting things on my plate. And one of the girls actually told me, Rav Soloveitchik never did this in YU. And I thought, <laughs> I said, that's why nobody ever mistook me for Rav Soloveitchik. <laughs> I walked down the street here in Harnov. I never even said, oh, look, there goes Rav Soloveitchik. Never. <laughs> so, sometimes you have to just take it and accept and be happy with who you are. <laughs> anxiety comes and anxiety is the prime primary mental problem today i don't know if you're aware of it yes that class depression look at that you know and take have it for anxiety yes anxiety is thinking you can never make the grade realize all hashem wants from you is to make the choices you could make in the background that he sets up the choices you could make given your reality those are the choices he wants from you. So I'm not saying don't be motion, don't be motion be Zusha. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if Hashem made you whoever you are, he gave you a unique choice box. Give yourself nachas by using it. Right. Okay, do you have any other questions, Vera? Um, I just, you know, we're, we're running late in time, but I just, I have a follow up question on just something that you said, because you're right, self esteem does come from your, your, your choices, the choices that you made. But what if you haven't made such great choices in your life? I mean, we've all made choices that we regret that we wish we haven't made. So if I, you know, that's why people get low on themselves. That why, that's why people get low self-esteem because they haven't made good choices. How can you still feel good about yourself and still have good self-esteem if you have a track record of making poor choices, unfortunately? Okay, so first of all, I don't agree with you on this. I think people have low self-esteem because they compare themselves to what they think other people expect them to be. But let's leave that. Let's say I have a terrible track record. Okay, so I have good news and bad news. The bad news is what you see might be what there is. Okay, it might be what there is. But the other is Hashem wants something of you. Remember, he provides the background. You're living in now. You're not living in then. You're living in now. Stay fo focused. Live now. Live with the choices he's presenting you with now. 
Look now and forward, not now and backwards. Stay in the present. This is what he wants of you. The fact that you got up this morning, which you did, you could tell if you're dead, you put a thing in front of your mouth, if there's vapor, whatever. If you're alive, that means he wants your now. Stick with now. Don't look backwards. Stick with now. Now you could say, your Yetzirah will say, no, there's no tshuva unless we get back. Stick with now. You have enough regret there for 10 people. Stick with now. If you stick with now and don't let yourself go into the future, stick with now, you'll be fine. I love it. That's you know what? That's exactly you hit the nail right on the head. That's it. Because I think people get stuck in the past and then forget it. Now in the future, it's exactly where we need to be mentally, and then we can really we can go on happily with and confidently. So thank you. Thank you so much, Robinson Heller, for joining us today on America's Top Robinsons. We really, really enjoyed having you here. And we learned so much. May this class be for Rafu Shalema, for Paralea, Bas Haya Rachel. Thank you. Amen. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.